How has your organization supported you during the pandemic? Whether it was with helping you with childcare when you had to homeschool your children, whether it was with flexible working arrangements, supporting you with computers or ergonomic chairs, all the kinds of support that we could imagine. So for this episode, we went out and invited the Boston College Center for Work and Family to come and talk to us about what they have seen across the United States from the leading companies, what have they put in place for their employees. And I hope in this episode you can get inspired to do the same for your organization, but also maybe benchmark yourself a little bit. And I hope you can also maybe pat yourselves on the back and say, yes, we've done already a great job for our employees. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to this episode of the Work Life Up podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky, and today my guests are joining me from the Boston College Center for Work and Family. The Boston College Center for Work and Family is a leading university-based center in the United States, focusing on helping employers enhance the employee experience, increase employee productivity, and improve the quality of employees' lives. My two guests are Dr. Brett Harrington, He's the executive director of the Boston College Center for Work and Family and a research professor in the Carroll School of Management. And my other guest is Jennifer Sabatini-Fraune. She is the director of corporate partnerships at the Boston College Center for Work and Family. Jennifer manages the corporate relations and programming for the Boston College Workforce Roundtable. And uh, I'm very excited to you know chat with them because they have done fantastic work in the past on work-life balance, on family uh, paid leave, on family caring, and all these topics that we're passionate about. But also they have done some very on-point and relevant and important work also during the pandemic. So we're going to be discussing a number of these points with them. So, Brad, uh, let me just maybe get the first question to you. Um in 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 this you know in these months that you've been um, you know working with and accompanying and talking to your your corporate members and employers um, about the their challenges during the pandemic, mm-hmm. what were the the kind of the main issues that they were faced with, and what was the impact of uh, the pandemic on the families that you have uh, researched and you have heard about? Sure. Well, thanks for having us, Agnes. And um, I would just say that our center has a roundtable, which includes members from a pretty wide range of industries, from hospitality to insurance to technology to pharmaceuticals and so forth. So different businesses and different employers have had different challenges over the course of the pandemic. Uh, For some, um, especially those in like hospitality and and the travel industry and stuff in those kinds of areas, uh, it's meant really a complete shutdowns and really the challenges for them have been 
you know, really around their long-term viability as a business. For others, it's meant dramatic changes in how they work and how they operate, but the business overall has maintained viability. And in some cases, the businesses have done extremely well. So for the organizations we work with, the majority of them are in what we would call sort of the knowledge industry. So they're in consulting, uh, investment banking, uh, you know, um, life sciences and things of that sort. So for a lot of them, it's been less about will we survive as a business and more about how will we be able to be effective and productive working in a new way. So <clears throat> back in April, most of our member organizations shifted the vast majority of their workforce into some kind of a remote work arrangement. And in some cases, they were very used to this because that was the way they operated anyway. But I think it, for many, it was really a dramatic change as they went from, you know, a limited amount of flexible work to, you know, 100% flexible work for the majority of their people. So those organizations have really tried to think about what can they do to sort of maintain viability, to maintain connection, to maintain the health and well-being of their people. That's been a, a really big concern for for a lot of the organizations as, as we shifted to the virtual model. The second thing, though, for those organizations has really been that employees, especially those with toddlers or school-aged children, have had to take on full-time caregiving while they're working during the shutdown of the schools and the daycare centers. So, you know, for these parents, uh, that's been a real disruption in terms of their workday. It's not just that they're working remotely, but it's also that they're doing full-time caregiving uh, and especially homeschooling as well. So parents and employers have had to show a lot more flexibility and agility in order to make this work. And I think a lot of our employers have said, you know, we just need to be flexible with our people because we understand they're in a kind of a no-win situation situation, um, trying to do two things that are both kind of very engaging full time. And then when you ask about the families, I'd say, you know, uh, the main, you know, responsibility seems to in the United States be shifting toward women, uh, which is not surprising, but it's a little disappointing in that because there's this all this caregiving and homeschooling that has to be done during what is typically people's workday, somebody has to pick up that uh, responsibility. And anecdotal evidence in the U.S. would suggest that that's falling, that burden is falling much more on moms than it is on dads. Um, and that's something that, you know, organizations and families need to address in order to make sure that women's, you know, progress doesn't take a step backward as a result of uh, the time they have to provide caregiving during the day. Yeah, thank you very much for, for this. And, and I absolutely you know, echo what what you just said. I just re just before recording this episode, I have seen um, an Australian study that has found you know the same thing that mm -hmm. that fathers started working even longer hours, probably to counter the the insecurity around job loss or yeah. or economic insecurity. And moms really have taken on you know the, the the overall burden and and by reducing their working hours or even by leaving. Yeah. Uh, the labor market. So some actually even say that uh, 2021 may be really the year where we see the impact and mm -hmm. and and the impact this will have as as you say. Um let me turn to you Jennifer. Can you give us a little insight into how uh, the center has supported businesses and employers throughout the pandemic so far? What were some of the the activities that you were running? Yes, I'm happy to, Agnes. Thanks for having this conversation with us. 
Um, we've been a trusted partner for our roundtable members, some for 30 years, um, you know, others relatively shorter time, but we've always been an organization that they've looked to when they need information and support. Um, so we really, back in March, pivoted into what I call crisis response mode. Um, and we took all of our programming online, uh, did many virtual sessions. I think we have offered more than 40 virtual programs since last March. And those have been a combination of expert-led sessions where we've brought a scholar or a thought leader in to speak with those members about a particular topic. We've had member discussions that brought them together around a topic that was critical and having them discuss that together, whether that be um, childcare or how they were shifting to that remote work model at the beginning of the pandemic or looking at issues like social isolation as the pandemic wore on and people were quarantined in their homes. Um, we also had panels of members sharing their approaches to how were they supporting their employees during this time. We also uh, had regular benchmarking touch points with them through surveys um, and requests for information. We collected data from the members. We also were really looking at the trends and the research coming out from other outside entities and summarizing that so it could be really accessible for the members. Um, some of our benchmarking efforts included reports on child care and how the members were supporting um, their employees with additional child care supports, um, efforts to support mental health, and also more recently, you know, what the return to work process is going to look like and envisioning mm. the future workplace. Absolutely. I think that that that's probably where with the rollout of the vaccines uh, and this uh, glimmer of hope, I think many are looking already at that and, and questioning actually how and when and in what form uh, employees will return to the workplace. There's, I think, still a lot of worry, a lot of hesitancy around that. And, and you know, just, just somehow we burnt our hands a little bit now and, and, and everybody would like to avoid a new flare-up or, or a new new big disruption like that. Um, and in your conversation with the employers, Jennifer, what, what were, you know, some of the responses, some of the interventions that they have put in place? Uh, if you could give us maybe a few examples of what you found particularly inspiring, if you could share maybe one or two with the listeners. Sure. Yes. Um, our members really stepped forward and, and we were impressed with their efforts and just the recognition of the issues, especially for their caregiving employees. And some really poured considerable resources into alleviating these stressors, especially for parents. This was most apparent in the area of child care support. Some instituted on-site child care programs for essential personnel um, when they previously had not offered this service. So making sure that people who had to be in the workplace could have a place to bring their children that was safe um, and that would allow them to be able to focus on their work. We also had employers who extended paid leave um, that they may have had in place 
designated for parental leave, but they now made it possible for employees to use that paid leave to help them deal with the lack of child care during the pandemic, and also direct financial payments to the employees to help them cover some of the additional costs of care while the schools and daycares were closed. Then I would say on the other end of the spectrum, there were some low-cost or even no-cost efforts that had an impact as well, Uh, designating meeting-free Fridays or a heads-down day to help combat the Zoom fatigue and allow people some uninterrupted time to get their work done, Um, or even a shift to 45 or 50-minute meetings to allow for uh, taking a quick breath between meetings or the ability to check on their child or get them a snack before the next meeting began. And then finally, um, I think what was really helpful, especially for parents, is just developing a sense of community, whether it be um, a connection board on the internet where people could share ideas or a Zoom lunch meeting where parents could come together um, and discuss what was going on. So I think just providing a common shared space for people to discuss, you know, this really trying time and and this, um, you know, there's never been a time like this where work and family have had to kind of crash together and and blend together um, in these types of circumstances. Absolutely, and and thank you very much for for sharing that. And and you know, for work life geeks uh, like me, <laughs> if you want, you know, looking at the work the Boston C- uh, College Center for Work and Family has done for so many years has always been, you know, an inspiration and and uh, incredible wealth of of knowledge and and. Uh, really also at the forefront, I guess, of of all of these issues for many, many years, as you say, 30 years uh, in the making. And and so, so Brad, I wanted to ask you, um, before we turn to maybe the, your focus for the next year and how you will continue to, to advance this, this issue, but how has the experience that you've had over all these years how has that empowered you to to support um you know employers but also share with maybe the research community or policies policy makers um how were you able to bank on your many years of experience to you know as as Jennifer said in this time when everything collided you know something that you've been speaking about for so long do you think there was a momentum and were you able to build on your experience to to help either policymakers, employers beyond what, what Jennifer said? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's been really um, inspiring for us to see the degree to which our members have relied on us during this period of time and have also continued to support us. Uh, as you can imagine, for m- many, but not all of our member companies, it has been a difficult time economically for them, and yet they've continued to uh, rejoin us as a member every year, including this year, which we were expecting would be such a difficult year for organizations to be able to invest in some of these human resource issues that are oftentimes uh, important, but not necessarily urgent to the bottom line of the business. As Jennifer said, as sort of the work family issues and the business issues have kind of uh, 
collapsed into one another this year. Uh, we've been really uh, pleased to see that employees have been less concerned about the economics of, of supporting us and more concerned about the kinds of things that we've been talking about for a long period of time and how could those benefit their people and their businesses. I think one thing that's been inspiring for us over the years, over the 30 years, is that we were started um, through the funding of 10 organizations that were considered good employers and wanted to do more, uh, you know, to support, especially in the early days, women in the workplace. And over that period of time, we've grown to about 55 member organizations. And they're organizations that all, any of your listeners would be familiar with. They're kind of household names, uh, mostly U.S.-based corporations. And those organizations have continued through good times and in bad to sort of support our work and to continually think about how can they do things differently and better in order to help people deal with the complexities of, of modern life. So um, it's been a credit to our members and also, I guess, a credit to the center and our staff that, you know, they've continued to support our work and continued, especially at a time like this, where our issues are so urgent to families and also so urgent to business success that they've really supported us and looked to us to, um, you know, to provide some leadership, some guidance, and just to bring organizations together, both with researchers and with one another, so they could understand, um, you know, what are, what are good practices, what are things that are being done that we might be able to emulate in order to support our working people more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the power of the network of peer support, of yeah. peer exchange, even showing vulnerability and saying, you know, we're grappling with this. We haven't got this figured out mm -hmm. what are you doing what could we do right. i think that facilitating that is so so important yeah. i mean i think we've worked with organizations over the years and really try to reinforce that point that we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses and there's things we can learn from one another. And I would say to our credit, we've really created a, a kind of a culture or a set of norms within the member organizations that is very much, I can learn from somebody else. I can, you know, learn best practices. I can admit where our organization is coming up short and that's created a really great give and take within the member organizations. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a safe space, right? It's, yes, absolutely. Uh, which which in a crisis like that is so important. Absolutely. And so you know, having lived through twenty twenty, and now seeing maybe some of the longer term impact, or mm -hmm. you know, some of the issues that are coming up, what have you prioritized to focus on in this year in twenty twenty one? What are the areas that you will likely focus on and work on? So we picked some issues in the spring of 2020 that are going to carry us through 2021. I think when we all kind of went home in April from work, we expected that this would be a few weeks or maybe a month or two, but never did we expect that we would yeah. be of the workplace for so long. So the issues we talked about back in the spring really continue to resonate now and they'll be our areas of focus for this year. The first issue we're looking at, and probably the one with almost the greatest sense of urgency, perhaps, is addressing race issues in organizations. And I know your listeners in, in Europe and, and wherever they come from know about the kinds of 
challenges the United States has faced around race over the past, um, certainly the past eight or nine months. Uh, the death of George Floyd, no one event, I think, brought this more to the forefront than, uh, than that, than that uh, tragedy. And so the first thing we're looking at is how do we address race issues in organizations and even organizations who over the years have sort of done good work with diversity uh, have come to the realization that we've really still got a long way to go. And a lot of what we did need to do is to kind of change the culture of organizations and to really have direct and candid conversations about race and where we are with that issue. So virtually every member organization we work with is, is, is really sort of teeing up that issue and thinking about what can they do to make you know, progress, not in terms of, not only in terms of increasing the diversity within our organization, but also making sure that people feel included and a sense of belonging. So that's number one. Um, the second issue is really striving to achieve gender equality. Uh, I think in the U.S. and certainly I think worldwide, it's true that women have made a lot of progress at you know the lower levels of management and supervision, even up to the middle levels of some of our large organizations. But when you get up into the highest echelons of corporate of corporate organizations and, and other organizations as well, you see that women don't tend to you know, populate the, the senior roles in, in large numbers. And that's been an ongoing concern forever. And I don't think things have changed much in the last decade in terms of seeing more and more women um, in, you know, C-suite jobs or direct level jobs. So we're going to look at that. And of course, COVID is having a big impact, as I mentioned a minute ago, because mothers are taking on more responsibilities at home than fathers. And as a result, we think this issue is going to be more uh, germane than ever, and there's going to be more problems and issues to address than ever. So looking at women's advancement programs and how organizations can help women achieve gender equity, including supporting fathers to play a more active role in home at home, which is sort of the flip side of that of that conversation. That's going to be our second area of focus. And then the third, which I think Jennifer mentioned at the end of her last the last question you asked her, is really trying to envision the workplace of the future. We've had this, you know, 10 months now enormous pilot study on how remote work works. And in addition to remote work, as I mentioned in my early answer, um, it's not just remote work, but it's remote work with added responsibilities of caregiving. And a lot of employees, while that's been very difficult for them, have appreciated the opportunity to to work and think differently. And so what we're going to do is look at what organizations are going to do as we return to work, you know, to what degree are they going to continue to support remote work where that's helpful and, and, and still productive? And, and what are they going to do if people are working more often remotely to support, you know, employee engagement, employee satisfaction, uh, and as Jennifer mentioned, the mental health of employees who, during this period of time, certainly we've shown a higher incidence of mental health problems uh, as people have felt isolated, lonely, and a little bit hopeless about the situation that exists. So those are our three issues for this year, um, and I think those are going to have uh, a lot of you know, resonance with uh, the organizations we work with, because as we talk these through, it seems like every member we talk to said we're working on two or three of those issues as, as our key priorities as well. So it marries up well with our members. That's great. Uh, before I go to Jennifer to ask her a little bit about, you know, the, the future and the workplace and employers and the lessons. Um, I know, Brad, you've been studying fathers and fathers as caregivers and, and yep. their behaviors as you know for many many years yeah um were you in some sense um uh you know taking this as an opportunity f you know f to advance 
uh, I need to reformulate this. Um, You know that, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way, you know, I think we all thought that, okay, this could be an opportunity to open the eyes of employers who were very reticent about uh, teleworking, you know, to, to see how teleworking is is feasible and manageable and can be done. And in the same way, I think many fathers now have been stuck at home with the family and seeing what caregiving entails, what it is to look after a toddler or or a small child or a baby. Mm -hmm. Do you find that this can be also maybe a wake-up moment or a pivotal moment for for fathers in engaging more and, and somehow, you know, furthering this issue on the agenda? I, I would hope so. But, um, I, you know, as we've studied fathers over the last decade, we've seen progress in terms of fathers not only saying they want to be, you know, shared caregivers, but actually moving in that direction. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, a slow movement toward a greater sense of kind of egalitarian couples and so forth. So the progress was slow, but pretty steady. And you certainly saw, like, for example, we just, a lot of our organizations have implemented parental leave um, and, you know, offered gender equity in terms of parental leave. And we see more and more fathers taking advantage of that and really spending time home, you know, oftentimes solo with their children, really getting immersed and what it means to be a caregiver. And so that's that's all been positive. This has sort of thrown everything up in the air a little bit, this the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think on the positive front, fathers, as you said, have gotten a much clearer insight into what's involved in caregiving and what's involved in, in tutoring and homeschooling and those kinds of things. And that has been, I'm sure, a wake-up call for those fathers. But as, as I stated at the beginning, the anecdotal evidence and some research evidence has suggested that you know, the fathers are not stepping up to the same degree as their partners are in terms of addressing these kinds of needs. So I do see this as an inflection point, but I can't say right now whether I think this is going to be for the better or the worse. I think for the better over the long term, because fathers have had their eyes open to this and they're much more aware and much more probably involved in caregiving than has been the case in the past. But um, as of now, I think there still is a bit of reluctance to say, I'll take on the lion's share of responsibility for this if their wife is home as well or the partner is home as well. So I hope it'll be an inflection point in the right direction, but I think the jury is out at this point. Yes, I understand you wanting, you know, the cautiousness of, because we don't know, but I think it was so um, heartening to see some of, even from my very limited scope, seeing uh, high-level uh, managers, CEOs, posting openly on LinkedIn about them being now more at home, about taking the time to go for a bike ride with their kids during the day, and even from countries, UN Women has done, you know, some work, and even countries like Turkey with very masculine uh, yeah. traditional gender roles to see fathers now saying, "Okay, I'm at home with my children, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm yeah. appreciating this time that I have with them." So. So that was, I think, still very, very nice to see, even if, as you say, we don't know on a bigger scale how how much that is. Yeah. The more our senior leaders talk about it and embrace it and make it, you know, okay to do, I think the more and more we're going to see men stepping into that. There's still, from our research, a little bit more of the cultural norms that exists within organizations about what is an ideal worker and what does it mean to to really be career focused still tend to influence men more than women. And so men are more susceptible to cues from the organization about what's appropriate or inappropriate. So the more we get senior leaders talking about that, the more likely it is that men will uh, 
step up. Absolutely. Now, now, Jennifer, um, you know, we just, you know, talking a little bit about these vulnerabilities and being, you know, as Brad just mentioned about the ideal worker type, you know, now with all these Zoom calls and all these um, insights into the lives of employees, employers really got to see, you know, the real employees with all their um, care responsibilities, with all their um arrangements in the family and 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 all of that so do you think this will have more of a lasting change on how employers are going to respond to the challenges and needs of working parents and carers do you hope for or do you see already maybe some early indication that employers uh, want to use this opportunity learning opportunity to take these issues a bit more serious um, and maybe take on newer initiatives or roll out some new uh, interventions? I certainly hope that we can learn from all that became visible during the pandemic to make our workplaces better in the future. I think there is that recognition and appreciation of the roles that caregivers have more than ever before, and the need to address and support those caregivers is very evident. So I'm hoping that this will push our workplaces to become more benevolent, to offer paid leave and childcare support, and just overall have empathy for people who have both child mm -hmm. and elder caregiving responsibilities um, that you know are in addition to their professional roles. Um, I also think you know we had this large-scale experiment that proved that remote work is a viable way of getting things done. Um, and now we need to learn how to leverage that to make our workplaces more flexible and agile in the future. So I know a lot of our member organizations are, are looking at this and trying to develop guidelines and policies to perhaps integrate remote work into more roles um, within their organizations and make it more of a standard practice. And I also think that, you know, the well-being and mental health of employees has really come to the forefront. Um, and it affects the full spectrum of employees, not only caregivers. Um, so attending to the mental health needs, supporting employees with EAP services, mindfulness programs, uh, mental health first aid, and other supportive mechanisms is, I hope, something that we've learned through the pandemic that can continue well beyond uh, the time that we get through this together. Yes, and, and hopefully maybe also childcare, right? Because they have been quite willing, as you explained in the beginning of a conversation, to to accommodate for the lack of or the difficulties to care for children. So maybe that's also something that could make its way more into mainstream uh, employer-led initiatives. I do hope so. So before we move to the last question, uh, may I ask you to share with listeners the website for the center where they can find out more about your work or where they can contact you or get in touch with you? Sure. Um, our website address is www.bc.edu slash CWF 
for Center for Work and Family. We have many reports and resources there that are available to the public and encourage people to go and check out, especially our COVID-19 webpage, where we continuously upload new resources and reports and links to virtual events um, that we're having. And so we welcome people to visit that website. Uh, We are also pretty active on Twitter with our handle being at BCCWF. Um, So certainly can follow us there. Or if they want to send an email, the email address is CWF at BC.edu. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. So if you didn't catch this, if you Google the Boston College Center for Work and Family, you will find them. That's for sure. Um, So maybe uh, coming to the the last question, uh, Brad, if I can turn to you, this is similar in all, all the podcasts. We're trying to, you know, tap into the insight and experience of our guests to dish out advice to senior leaders. So if if I can ask you to build on, you know, your experience you had before the pandemic and also in these past 11 months, um, what would what advice would you give to senior leaders who are looking for information, who are just maybe not sure what it is that they could do to put in place to support their employees who are you know, struggling or who are carers or who are mm-hmm. parents um, and they don't know where to start. What would be your advice? Well, first and foremost, and this is probably not news because they've been dealing with these issues for, you know, coming up on a year now is, is to continue to be flexible. Uh, everybody is doing the best they can during this kind of unprecedented time um, to sort of say, how do I Take it, pay attention to my health and well-being, to my work, to my family, and and all the needs that that those present. And so, I think that organizations that are going to be the most successful at navigating the ne- you know the next six months to a year are the ones who continue to be flexible and to be understanding that people are in very very difficult situ- situations around their health and family and well-being and getting work done and so forth. So the more flexible that you know we can be with our people, uh, the better it will be for business success as well as for employee well-being. So I I don't think that putting employees in a situation where they have to choose between their own health and well-being or their families. And what are, what are the business needs is, is a good place to be. I think it's much better to be understanding and to say, look, we're all trying to do our best. How can you do things flexibly and at the same time, you know, be, continue to be a, uh, you know, a productive member of our, of our uh, organization? Um, and then secondly, I would just say that I think a lot of organizations, as Jennifer said, are doing a lot of good things um, to uh you know, to really say, how can we best support employees during this period of time? And, and what they can do obviously differs depending on how, you know, how, how their finances are working and whether or not uh, they're in a position to be able to offer people some of the services that Jennifer outlined. But the one thing that you can do, and I think it can be done very simply, is to simply ask employees, what is it, you know, we can do that would be most helpful to you? And it, could be in the form of a survey, but the survey could, you know, could literally be one or two questions that just says, as, you know, given what we've gone through, as you think about returning to work, as you, you know, kids hopefully are getting back into school, uh, as you think about any health concerns you have, what would be the most helpful support we could provide? 
for you during this period of time. And that would make sure that before employees launch large and expensive initiatives, that they know that what they're doing really targets and hits the needs of their popu- uh, their population. So um, asking what can be done and maintaining a stance of flexibility to me are the simplest ways in which organizations can really be responsive and helpful to their people. Thank you. I mean, this was this is really, really excellent. I don't know, Jennifer, would you like to add something? Um, I guess I would just say that what we've learned um, through this pandemic is how much the issues we review and research are very intertwined, whether that be diversity and inclusion and efforts to create inclusive work cultures, employee well-being caregiving, flexibility, and remote work. There are so many overlaps with these critical issues and, you know, they've all stepped to the forefront of our minds. And so we feel that, you know, our mission is to continue to help employers figure out how to create this new, more benevolent workplace of the future and really leverage what they've learned um, to help them toward that effort. Mm, Absolutely. So this was really great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and sharing all your insights and and also the experience of of your, your members, your roundtable members, with the listeners, I mean, I for sure have taken a lot of notes and, and take a lot of insight away from this. And I'm sure the listeners do as well. So again, Brad and, and Jennifer, thank you so much for, for joining me on this conversation. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks. I enjoyed it.